Welcome to Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine. My name is Kyle. I'm peaking right now. Yeah, great. And I'm the machine. A podcast where a sentient machine is forcing us each season to watch movies from a specific year in order to prevent it from starting the apocalypse. The year just so happens to be 2018 that we're going through here this season. You know, the machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to, although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today, we're going to be watching the film Black Panther. I have seen gods fly. I've seen men build weapons that I couldn't even imagine. Uh-huh. I've seen aliens drop from the sky. Yeah. But I have never seen anything like this. How much more are you hiding? Hold up. Let's go, go, go. My son, it is your time. Show me my respect and bow down. You get to decide what kind of king you are going to be. Don't freeze. This is maybe one of the biggest movies that we've uh, talked about here on this very show. Uh, I do want to give a huge thanks to what? our patrons. Of all time? I'm thinking of like cultural impact. I'm thinking of box office. I think anywhere you look at it, I think this is one of the bigger films that e. we have talked Fight about. Club. I can say the biggest. I said one yeah. of the biggest. So if you looked at the Shaft, of ten even? films, I don't know, right? Which movie? <laughs> Shaft. <laughs> Come on, get out of my face. <laughs> talking about Shaft, baby. Hey, I love Richard Roundtree. Don't get me wrong, but come on. <laughs> Thank you to people over on Patreon. They help us make this each month. We do a bonus episode over there talking about Liquid Sky because we're always a year behind on our Patreon feed. So we're talking about movies from 1982. Dave, before we get into talking about this seminal film this week, of course, one of the things that people also tune into this show eagerly anticipating our deep and rich fiction that we provide each and every week. You told me you had a vision? You have to yes and me here, Dave. You, yes. you had a vision. Tell me what this vision is all about. Yeah, I had a vision. It was quite hazy. I mm. think that we were in a field and Russell Crowe was walking, touching wheat. No, that's the wrong year. Yeah, that was the wrong year. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I, I'm so glad you said wheat. I was like very <laughs> nervous about where you were going to go with this. I wonder if Gladiator holds up. I should watch that movie again. I I don't know. I guess it has been a long time since I watched it. I remember watching it like a decade after that movie came out and I was kind of meh on it, but maybe mm. I'll come back around on it. But it's like babyface Joaquin Phoenix who still yes. looks like a serial killer. So Yes, thousand percent. <laughs> but last uh, last uh, performance by uh, the devil's guy. Oh, Oliver Reed. <laughs> Oliver Reed, yeah. Oliver Reed. Went and no, drank himself uh, to death after... On the set of that movie. Well, it looked like he was drinking himself to death on the devils anyways. So, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I had this vision and it was uh, it was quite uh, visceral. What do you think it's telling us to do? I think it's telling us to stop, frankly. To just, <laughs> just give it in. Yeah. To like throw in the that towel. That is what iTunes is telling me every week. So, we'll see. We'll see if this vision holds true. We do have a big movie, like I said, that we have to get to. So, let's do some of our history with this. I think we have talked about this company... Uh, we've used these examples for three plus years at this point. So I think it's finally time hating on it. to mm. give our dissertation. Dave, <laughs> what is your relationship with Marvel Studios? And I'm being very specific. I'm not talking about Marvel Comics. I'm talking about Marvel no, Studios. Well, I mean, I think that they uh, work well. To I mean, sorry, that they are folded in on each other. I think that growing up, 
in the 90s. It was a big era for Marvel comic books. So I yes. have uh, some fond and traumatic memories about essentially a reboot. I mean, it's so funny, but it was a reboot really at that time of some key characters. There was, yeah, I think that was the introduction of... Um, Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man and then... Jim Lee's X-Men. Well, sure. But I was going to check there. There was the Infinite brand. They did all these things like with Spider-Man Infinite or like Fantastic oh, Four. Oh, that was Infinite, a little bit later than I was talking about. Basically yes. a reboot of all of their heroes yeah, so that yeah. new readers could come in and enjoy it. I guess I bring that up just loosely because, I mean, Marvel has always been trying to make media, but we got uh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, which I, mm -hmm. I really, really still think holds up really well. I really like it. And... Uh, Brian Singer's X-Men. I know he's ruined his reputation. But those first couple X-Men were really highly the regarded. The first was great. And Hugh Jackman yeah. made a whole, his entire movie career. His entire movie career. From, from that, that one movie. role. The second one is pretty decent too. I'll say the first two are, are fine. Yeah, I, yeah. I, it's hard. I, I never loved those X-Men films, but I recognize, hey, they're, they're doing this, quote unquote, the right way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You and I remember this. Like, yes, there was Superman, like the first Superman oh, with Christopher movie. Reeve. Yep. And there's been so many good Batman iterations. Right. And there's like the, yep. the, the Tim Burton Batman, which was which really highly regarded. But out of those two, which are both DC comics, Marvel had like this direct-to-video Captain America movie that is awful. Yeah. The Fantastic Four movies and the things that are awful. Yeah. They made money though, sadly. They made money, but they're yeah. so bad. I so think bad. Although Chris Evans got his career out of that. Correct. Uh, some people will go to bat for the Blade films. but I like uh, Blade 1. It doesn't hold up well, but that was a big thing for Daredevil me. Daredevil and Elektra are awful. Golf, like, it's just yeah, like awful. The, the, the track record of the Marvel movies were so bad. Ang Lee's Hulk. That made a lot of money too. That was a yeah. piece of shit. Yeah. But I think there, because of those films, there was this idea that you superheroes... Do these could not be translated to the screen, yep. which is, I think, why the X-Men, which came out, I think, in 2000, was the first X-Men movie. And then yep. uh, the first Spider-Man comes out in 2002, somewhere around there. Yep. I think those were the, the genesis of like, hey, this can still be goofy because superheroes are inherently goofy. But there could be a seriousness to this. Yeah, there could be some, some weight. weight to this. That there are heroes besides Batman that can work on film. And then, of course, we get to 2008. Where even I at the time, like, again, I think it's so ridiculous to go back and think about this now pre-MCU. We have Robert Downey Jr., who is not a big name. He had tarnished his name, he, gone to jail, right. was trying he to make a comeback. was a big name. And then he came back, did Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Correct. And then this is his, like, follow-up to that because Kiss yeah. Kiss had come out, like, a couple years before this. So it's, like, in some people's eyes, washed-up actor headlining this C-level comic book character. Like, yep. Iron Man was not important in the Marvel comic books. I mean, he did have a stint where he was he uh, part of the Avengers. But he, yeah, he's never been... But he was never, like, a major, major player. Really yep. Well, that's why they got to ex experiment with him, right? Because they figured I nobody so. would give a shit. I think that was maybe the, the key plan with, with Kevin Feige being like the producer who's behind all of these movies was like, we can't go like a huge, huge big name. No, yeah, let's find something that we can really dig our teeth into and allow people to be brought in from this I, other character. I think his character too, you know, we talked about the impact of 9-11. We have this, I mean, literally warmonger mentality to tackle. It gives you a little bit more meat than uh, Captain America's Nazi fighting propaganda. It, it's not going to sure. hold that well. And we just had Ed Norton's uh, 
Incredible Hulk that actually did well. I didn't. I actually kind of like that movie. That came out after Iron Man, but yeah, I thought it was before Iron Man. No, comes out the same month. So oh, okay, Iron okay. Man comes out, and then Incredible Hulk comes out two. So weeks they after. were taking two swings at it. But Iron Man's a fascinating backstory. Uh, so when that came out, I also was like, oh, I'll watch it because I actually like. I have a soft mm. spot for Robert Downey. I didn't even know that uh, John Favreau directed at the time. Right. You know. So you think. Swingers, Elf, and then Iron yeah. Man's weird, super weird. Yeah. But, you know, Jeff Bridges is going to be in it, and you're like, wow, these are legitimate dramatic actors, right? Um, but the reviews are like over the moon. Like, people, I like, critics really went movie. to bat for that first movie. That movie really holds up. I'm sorry. It I does. don't know. I don't know if you feel that way. I think it might be the best. I think it still has the classic Marvel Studios problem where the third act is the weakest, unfortunately. Well, you That's- know about how they had to. Test is so poorly that that's an amalgam of their like right. B footage, right? Because they're just like the story doesn't trying make to sense. cobble something together. Yeah, but I, I I like that movie, and you know what's great about that film is that it was still in the days when comic book movies were succinct. I think the runtime is like still. Yeah, they're like- getting egregious, <laughs> but it also. This is another little pet peeve of mine, which I'm sure we'll talk about when we talk about uh, Infinity War this year, because it also comes out in 2018. I like the fact that he actually wore suits in that movie. Like, he actually wore the Iron Man suit. And now it's all just, like, CGI, like, weird nanotechnology. And it's like, ah... I don't like it as much as when there's actually you're actually wearing that suit and walking around. Well, his first Iron Man, I love the call-out. That's one thing Marvel is fun at, like, doing call-outs to the silly designs from the history Mm -hmm. of drawing comic books. But when he... Builds the first thing out of, I don't know, spare parts from missiles and he walks out. It's fun because you're like, oh, I know mm-hmm. this suit. I've seen this, uh, at least yeah. if I haven't read the comic book, I've seen this image before. At any rate, maybe because of John Favreau, that movie is both, like you said, it's fun. It can mm-hmm. be really silly, but it also has uh, this weight underneath it, writing about terrorism and uh, war sure. propaganda and all these things. So. To talk about your war property, like at the end of that, it's like, maybe we should use this technology for clean energy. Like that's basically the resolution of that story. Yeah. It, they, they forget about that for the most part. For I sure, know it's a but... subtext of uh, Tony Stark, but he doesn't give a shit really. He's trying to start a interplanetary war or prevent it. It's so classic yeah. American, right? To prevent it, we need a bigger weapon. Fucking right. idiots. At any rate, I really like that. And I think that... Yeah, it took the movie industry by surprise. I don't know how much it made, 100 million, 120 million. Oh, it made more, way more than that, but. Yeah, in its original theatrical I think release. it made a few hundred million dollars, that, that movie. And then we get Iron Man 2, which was, you know, Not it holds good. up better than I thought it would. You know, yeah. I rewatched, we've, I mean, COVID is basically the MCU era. I don't think I know anyone who didn't watch the fucking whole pantheon of MCU movies when they're trapped at home, if you had Disney+. Plus. I always cheer for Aldron. Yeah, so the second one's not as good, but we get the uh, seeding of uh, trying to make every superhero work. I, I think, it, yeah, every su- superhero to work. I th- will I'll wait for some of the later movies to get into like the rights issues and the weird right. thing that they had to cobble together here and there. But I do think that it came at like, exactly the right time. It, like, it, 2008 was had to have been 2008 for Iron Man to come out. I have oh, a whole hindsight. thought process on this. I, I, I don't just, know. It could, well, in 2007, it wouldn't have worked. I'm trying to think, did Thor come out first or Captain America? Maybe Thor. I actually don't remember the, I just keep watching a chronological now MCU mm-hmm. timeline. So I don't remember the release dates anymore. At any rate, uh, I mean, the one counterpoint, we shouldn't dwell too much on history, but Batman has always been the most fascinating character. That's why he has so many movies because he's not technically a superhero. <laughs> he has no superpowers other than money and mm-hmm. ninja skills and uh, genius level intellect. 
Um, but the reality is, like, he's not Superman. This is why Superman became a cartoon character and it was so difficult to make a successful mm-hmm. film after 1978 or 77, whenever the first one came out. Superman's silly. You know, it's a stupid character because he's all power. He's a god and he's good natured. Wow. So, who gives a shit? They killed him. They had to kill him. That's why... Uh, later comic book writers as well as people in the movies they just had to invent things that could hurt him like yeah, kryptonite yeah. and green and yellow and well, red different that. colors yeah, they, and this does this and that does this and right they killed him and then they had that schism where he became four superman which is so stupid so we we get mcu i'm in on it like i'm thinking oh maybe we need some superhero movies because it's getting so dark yeah i was so into it like dave you don't even know like you think i'm a nerd now no, I, I can was imagine what you're forums. Like, I was yeah. researching things. Nobody's surprised about that. Well, you were dressing up. I went back to buying comic books again. Like I was in it. I read fan theories. I was talking yeah. about it with people it in real life lot, and Kyle. online. Like <laughs> I was in the MCU, Dave. Like yeah. opening night when I was working at Apple too. There was a guy who actually used to be my roommate. We would, as soon as tickets became available, book out three rows of people that would just go and watch these movies on opening night, dressed up as Thor. It was wild. Well, Shameful. no, I never dressed up, but yeah, right. It was wild. It was, and those were fun times. I love going to those movies yeah, on opening was, night because people were in it, people were cheering and laughing, and like just it was a cool, cool vibe to it. And that was the time when people still went to theaters because we didn't have streaming services and cop outs on TV. It was like this is why you know for the last three years I want to know more about attendance than than gross revenue because it, it's just an interesting thing to me that the culture of seeing a film. You know, we talked about 97 when they didn't have trailers, that you would have to physically go to a theater and participate in this I think wildly trailers, they just didn't play on TV. Yeah, but it's a different marketing thing, yeah, right? Yeah. It's just what would motivate you to get off your ass and go to the theater? It wasn't so much that, well, I know how this is going to end, so I got to see it like today. It was, you know, sure. it's, it's like a social event. It was, it was, yeah, a different culture. There's back in that time from what I've read... It was not uncommon for people just to go to a movie theater on Thursday night and be like, what's playing? I don't know. Okay, we're going to go to see this. Even the 90s, like if you watch some Seinfeld episodes, they're kind of queuing up at a theater and then they'll see a poster and be like, well, why don't we watch this tonight? You know, it's... It was still that old, uh, almost, yeah, like actual theater experience. I don't think anyone should know the movie they are about to watch when they sit down in a theater. Let chaos reign. As soon as like, you know, Thor, Captain America, and then they announce the Avengers movie, it starts getting bloated pretty quickly and it's still exciting oh see i was i actually kind of disagree with that i think it's a post avengers problem no, i think well, that I'm just it, saying, it was pretty like, much great getting up to that point but yes it's swelling up already and now we have to be careful of timelines and we're excited because we're like oh well i heard a rumor that this character is going to show up right. and now everything's going to intertwine because it's not a standalone thor movie it's not a standalone ca- well i think yeah maybe captain america came after avengers who gives a shit it's all becoming this swollen mass and it's starting to involve some soon to be or already established A-list actors because the yes. budgets are getting so big. And so even when the movie is going to be bad, you get drawn by who will co-star or be a villain mm-hmm. or whatnot. Uh, and then to your point, you know, Batman blows up and we get uh, super superhero mania, right? You can't yeah, make really a movie is. now like, that doesn't have a superhero in it. By the time like 2010, 11 rolls around, we are getting... That oh, four or five superhero films a year at that point. Uh, just an MCU. And then DC's pumping out garbage, but they're pumping out films. <laughs> it's just really difficult to watch a drama. And I think when we started this podcast, that was something you were lamenting now, that there's no mm. good plots anymore. Nobody's watching interesting films. Well, but- th- this is the monkey's paw that happened, Dave, because as a 
super huge Spider-Man fan from the 90s, like obsessed with Spider-Man. I always dreamed of like Spider-Man being on film. And this is why I've always been a little tepid on the Sam Raimi films. He is a great director and I loved how he made those movies. I hated Tobey Maguire so much as Peter Parker. You don't understand how much I hate him as that character. Yeah. I've always been a bit yeah, like, like medium on those films, even though I recognize that Spider-Man 2 is pretty great as a movie. Spider-Man 2 is amazing. I just can't get over the casting. I can't get over it. You're probably one of those assholes like, Kirsten Dunst is not pretty enough. No, I was never MJ. that way. I actually always really like first and dense. <laughs> My monkey's probably still like, oh, I wish I could just nail the superhero format because I love them and I think that they would make great blockbusters. And then it becomes the only thing that studios yeah. are making, it feels like. I'm like, okay, like I don't want everything to be this. I just wanted a corner of the entertainment industry to be this. The other thing that happens because of the glut is that even though the budget numbers go up, the production value starts to sink. Yeah, I, I think um, we're starting to see that crest here. Like, it was starting yeah. to happen already before Black Panther, but, like, these movies are being announced sometimes up to three years in advance. Like, yeah. it is coming out on this day. Yeah, be so ready. So whether they're done or not, it is coming out on that day. We just ran the gamut of the MCU with my son, probably too early, he's still eight, but now that I have hindsight, you know, I was I was getting upset with the TV shows and the new generation of films, how the special effects are garbage. They were garbage, like, I don't know, after Age of Ultron, even Age of Ultron, you, you can see it. It's like, yeah, like you're saying, CGI costumes and like nothing's practical anymore. And all the things that I think look terrible now were actually exactly the same then. I just blew it up in my mind as something much cooler than it was because I also was part of this mania. Interestingly, I think while there are still some of those issues in Black Panther, when we get to talking about this movie, I think Black Panther might have been one of the last ones that actually looks pretty good. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I think now you really start to feel the machine. Again, yeah. around this time, yes, but Black Panther looks great. Absolutely after this, you just feel the rushness of this. Like, ooh, that is definitely green screen. Yeah, like, yeah. Ooh, they definitely were not in the same room together. Uh, I, just... I know you're a fan of it, but like the Love and Thunder Thor movie, I think has some shockingly bad CGI oh, yeah, for yeah. how much money they spent on well, that movie. What, yeah, because I never look at budgets. I also think, like, we talk about this often. I think budgets is a shell game, and I think it's all tax shelter fucking projections sure. when they publish it. I, You know, I would be surprised, you know, like Love and Thunder, what, what was the budget, $150 million or something? If oh, like, I'm sure it was over 200 to be honest. So if like you. 90% of that isn't, I, every actor in that film is now an A-list actor. There isn't sure. a single person that's making less than 20 30 million dollars to be in that fucking film or uh profiteering rights to some merchandise whatever people structure their contracts these days has changed so much so uh, i also appreciate i mean i think taiko watiti has become a little overblown but he's if there any if not anything he loves to take a piss and i just sure. feel like what i enjoyed about that movie is that it feels like he's just flipping the bird at at us <laughs> he's like you want can't be superhero i'll give it to you you're not gonna like it but uh, you're going to feast on this shit. Universe is too big and it's become not culture forming, it's yeah. culture consuming TV now. TV shows now and one yeah. shots. And but like, it affects other things too. Non-MCU stuff is trying to yeah. chase this revenue, right? Which um, has always been a mistake. I think yeah. Marvel kind of hit lightning in a bottle with this yep. shared universe idea and it has worked for them. I just don't know if any of any other person has ever, or sorry, any other studio has really nailed it well, to the, the extent that Marvel has been able to do from the ground floor and built it upwards the way that they did. I think I've stated this on the podcast before, but just to tie this all the way back as you started talking about like the boom in the 90s for comics. If you remember, at the end of the 90s, there was a bottoming out of the comic book industry. Yep. Like Marvel almost goes bankrupt. That's why they sell off a bunch of their 
character rights. But also part of it, there's been a lot of stuff written about this, is that things were getting super convoluted. No. Where Too many universes. Well, even just the universe, it was getting to a point, and even me as a Spider-Man fan, just to get like Amazing Spider-Man number whatever, 254, is like, oh, this panel, this references the all Avengers team up number 17. Yeah. Oh, and this panel is referencing Fantastic Four number 62. And this one is referencing this. I'm like, I can't buy 72 comic books exactly. every week to understand what's going on in this storyline. So people just start to bounce off of it. Which is what's happening in the films right now. Yeah. Like I, I started finding manga where they would pr make a production that had an end. <laughs> They're right. like, here's a complete story. This person dies, fuck off by the next book instead of, well, we'll leave a thing because maybe they'll come back and we have this new... Yeah. Uh, the only other thing I'll talk about uh, with Marvel as a company, I think what made Stan Lee and uh, Ditko and all these people transcend and make stories that were going to make good films is all of their superheroes are flawed and they have mm -hmm. human backstories. And DC had a really big trouble with this because uh, most of their guys. superheroes are like perfect you know, and they're just fighting because of the good-natured will of doing the right thing. Yeah, it depends on what kind of storytelling you're looking for. Because yeah. DC fans will say that that's what they enjoy about it, is that they are larger-than-life characters. Which is, and Marvel was always the ground-level stuff. Yeah. Like, it was, like, really human-type stories we were, were interested in. Which is why it makes good films. And the only exception, and I think that's why there's so many, is Batman. Because Batman is right. the most fucking flawed human being on Earth. You know, he's awful. I think, I think you have something there. It's like, the reason why, and people sometimes complain about this, like, why is there... A tenth Batman movie coming out in the, like the last twelve years. So like, much to explore. People love him. People. Yeah, there is man. the reason why people keep going back to this character. He's got trauma. He's cruel. Characteristics I always looks for in a date. How about your history with Chadwick Boseman, the star of this film? Yeah, Chad Chadwick's interesting. I kind of like we talked about last week with uh, Michael B. Jordan and even Tessa Thompson. I mean, she's younger, so it's it's a harder comparison. But mm -hmm. Chadwick Boseman, I think, has always been such a phenomenal dramatic actor. I think my first film was probably. 42. This, this is the first film I saw him in, by the way. Oh, okay. So I had not seen any of his other work before Black Panther. Um, yeah, I, I'm trying to think if I watched the James Brown one mm. after Black Panther. It doesn't matter. Uh, so I knew his chops. I also think that, especially being in North America, leading into the first black, I mean, technically not the first, but the first black superhero of the MCU, etc. We look at who's going to be in it and then we do a retrospective as well so it's sure. you know you start noticing that i saw a chadwick boseman film i didn't know who he was when you watch ford i watched that because harrison ford's in it you know and <laughs> right. that we yeah. want to know that jackie robinson uh, like all black uh, civil rights superheroes um had to go through all kinds of fucking garbage just to be known right so i've always liked him it's tragic that he would become a cultural touchstone in his like mid 30s or late 30s and then uh We'd lose him to the yeah, worst I mean, cancer. Even in of all this time. movie, he was suffering from 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 cancer. Yeah. Like he was not letting anyone in on that fact. But the fact that he you know, got as jacked as he is and like yeah. pushed through that and was starting in this film, it's it's remarkable. Yeah. Super, super remarkable. Real superhero. Yeah. I only had known him from this, and um, oh my gosh, the Netflix movie. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is the only other oh, real movie I think in. I've yeah. seen him in. Twenty One Bridges. Or, I've uh, seen 21 Bridges. Uh, so. <laughs> what was the other one? But it, he, he made but a whole bunch. This was his big breakout. I mean, he had like 
six six films that were actually quite popular before he passed away. They're correct. Yeah, it's becoming such a big deal. I think we talked about Ryan Coogler a little bit last week, so go back to that episode for a bit of a deeper dive on Ryan Coogler. But like this movie, what were your impressions? Do you remember of this movie when you first saw it back in 2018? If you saw it in 2018, I probably saw this one in the theater. I don't remember. I liked this movie a lot. I've watched it so many times. It's hard to think about the first time I watched yeah, it. I've seen this four times now, yeah. so it's it's, it's pretty it's, good it's, in my brain. They all kind of mesh together, right? Yeah. I think you're wrong, but I think when I first saw this, this is such a fresh. Like I love hip hop and I love uh, proper hip, like not to be too judgmental, but like old school hip hop culture where it was wholesome. And not just front. It wasn't just about how many fucking chains I wear and how many women I can sleep with at a club. It, I mean, it had mm. aspects of that just from urban culture, but it was about this spiritual civil unity to fight against the oppressors and to like tell people how hard it is to live at the bottom. And this movie was exciting because we were going to see that, but also this message of hope because superhero movies are inherently uh, about good guys winning and bad guys losing. Even when mm -hmm. good guys lose, we're upset about it because of the idea of this um, power dynamic, right? There's a lot of hope that's leading up to this. And now the MCU marketing machines in full, full overdrive. So you can't overhype these films. And his brief appearance uh, as a uh, side protagonist in uh, Winter Soldier, which is a fantastic movie. No, sorry, in Civil War, you know, get whetted the appetite because even in the, you know, 20 minutes of screen time or 30 minutes of screen time, you already know Chadwick Boseman is going to captivate your interest. He's great. He was meant to be a film actor, right? So yeah, it was it was going to be amazing. Yeah, it, it's interesting because when I, of course, I was going to see this opening weekend, so that's going to always influence me. And I remember enjoying you it. You got your two rows. Yeah, yeah, right. I, I enjoyed it, liked it. Was not anticipating it to become like just like this huge juggernaut. It, it becomes the second highest grossing film of to. this year. Yeah. And then like the seventh highest grossing movie of all time, something like that. Like yeah, it's, yeah. it's made so much money worldwide and such a huge touchstone for me saying this as a white guy, but for like black Americans specifically, well, like it was why. such a yeah. huge deal. We saw Sweet Sweetback, like that is not a movie that should have made any money, but <laughs> because it brings in and ties into that fervor and this angst. Anytime you can present a project where you're going to both have an expression of struggle, but also put in a superhero where there's a message of hope, particularly, you know, in the midst of Black Lives Matter and all of this shit mm -hmm. that's going on. I mean, we brought this up last week, but how did another fucking kid get beaten to death by white police officers in America? You think they would know better by now, even if they're racist, you know, to just not right. do that. It was go always going to blow up. And you add in the MCU machine. But the fact that right now people still do the Wakanda salute and fight, like it's fucking amazing, yeah. right? It's, it's a wild. big deal. Big deal. And so mm -hmm. I, I know that I'm always on the outside looking at it a little bit. It's like, I, I just didn't get that much of like a, an emotional response to it. But like, I can't deny that it does have that emotional response for other mm -hmm. people. So I, I almost have to elevate a little bit. It's like, maybe I don't, but like this obviously is, is resonating with people. Well, I mean, just think it's, yeah, it would be hard, I think for, I mean, not to be finger pointing, but for a white person in North America to understand because all the superheroes are white and all movie right. protagonists are white. So it's not part of the experience. But I remember when I first 
became keenly aware of my non-whiteness. You know, I grew up watching American movies, of course. You know, I grew up mm -hmm. here. But I don't remember which film it was. Um, there were two, like one, one they address it as an American film. And one, I think I watched something, a Korean cinema or something. And that growing disconnect, realizing that I am hoping to become, let's say, Brad Pitt. It's fucking sick, right? I have well, nothing yeah, yeah. in common. It's not like physicality. Like I'm not saying I want to be handsome like Brad Pitt, but his like persona, but I have nothing in common with him. It's unattainable. Even if I was going to become a famous actor and become rich, I would not be a Brad Pitt just because I'm not a handsome white dude who grew up in a system who could couch surf and then end up in Hollywood. It's not how it happens for minorities. And so it's just fascinating. Maybe also... In high school, I was watching a lot of Chinese cinema and it's just kind of weird. I think that like my own journey over like the last, well, I'll say like eight years-ish, it was not this film in particular, but I think it was something that was additive to me was I really had to contend with the fact that I just often approach movies, books, any type of media without really thinking about race, first and foremost. But that's my privilege to, because right? I don't need to most of the time in my life think about the fact that I am a white person. And so when I started really looking at that angle of different things, like, oh, well, this is weird. Or like, oh, this is really interesting. Or it's a, just a different way to, uh, to approach media. Not in like a, I try not to be like, defeatist attitude or i don't know like mm -hmm. a, um, a, a self-critical self attitude yeah. but it's like i just have to remind myself like oh i get the exemption a little bit here because so much stuff is just made for me that just because yeah. something isn't necessary doesn't make it bad or it is it, there's, there's a different way to to approach it i think one of the things that is giving culture in general a problem right now is that we you know we do need more voices and we need new perspectives you know it's not just race you know we talk about of course the male gaze and how uh, queer people are portrayed in film and mm -hmm. how many so far disregarded voices are not allowed to pre uh, present in media etc but i think white guilt is also problematic because if Europeans were the first to get access to the printing press and all of these classic novels, at least that we love, were written by white Europeans. Does that mean that as a Korean person, I should never read Wuthering Heights or Frankenstein or something? No, it, right, it right. doesn't, you know, we shouldn't disregard that either. If a white production company has a white story and they cast Brad Pitt, who gives a shit? You know, if I want to watch the story, I should watch the story without feeling any guilt. The question should be on the other end is, uh, yeah, what blocks do we have of presenting material that is as authentic as possible to whatever culture they're trying to portray? So, for example, in this film, my biggest problem with this film right now is that they go to Korea and the moment this woman starts being Korean, I'm like, this is not a Korean woman. Because that, like, Lupita Nyong'o speaks Korean better than this woman in, in oh, really? Busan. Oh, yeah. So then I Googled it, and it turns out the white casting director hired a Korean woman from LA, but never asked if she could actually speak Korean. And so they brought in a Korean person for their uh, mandatory uh, discriminatory thing so they don't get sued, but she actually couldn't speak the language. <laughs> And so Fascinating. that's kind of stuff sticks out to me. So you're trying to do the right thing, but they overcompensate almost. And without. that's, I think that's what happens in film in general. And look at the eternal. It's not to bag on anybody that's in that production, but it's not how that movie should have been built. If we're going to place uh, superheroes or gods within different cultures, we need to make sure that it makes sense and that we're not just doing it for the sake of representation. And that's a really hard thing to navigate, especially in the MC where you have a deadline and they're like, I don't care whether you did it right or not. 
Black Panther's coming out on X date at this time, and you're going to fucking mm. make it work. And maybe we should talk about Wakanda Forever, because that's definitely well, what happened. Let's save that, that to the end, because we're getting already a little bit over time here. But uh, I think you can definitely feel the crunch for Wakanda Forever. Oh. Like, really feel the crunch that they had My to. God. There's so many things that happened in that film. Even though I think it was delayed by one year, but still, like... I mean, they have to deal it with was a crunched lot. out. Um, okay, well, let's do this here then. We do uh, want to delve into a little bit more about this movie in particular, but uh, let's go and take a break. We'll thank some sponsors, and then when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about Black Panther. What's the likelihood of you coming across just like a random flower and you said, I'm going to drink the nectar of this sucker? Uh, zero. But I will say this. <laughs> Two anecdotes. No, one anecdote and one comment. The anecdote is years ago, I went on this like super long hike with this friend from Ontario, but he's like a total nature nut. And as we were going up this thing, he started just walking up to bushes and eating the berries. And I thought it was fucking dangerous. And I was like, what if you die? And he's like, it's just berries. So no, I would never put a random plant in my mouth. That is like the classic last words of like, that's just berries. Yeah. And then Smash Cut's like, uh, these were poisonous. And <laughs> you are now shitting out your stomach. There's a new show on the Discovery called Chef vs. Wild. Anyways, uh, the, the, the conceit is they put a, a chef into uh, um, the forests of BC and they can only cook with what they forage. And one of the chefs, his guide, gave him this root it was actually poisonous. <laughs> So, oh, that Jesus. actually happened. Anyways, uh, the second thing is we wouldn't have food if people didn't just shove things in their mouth. So, uh, I am thankful that people do exist that would put a plant in their mouth to see if they're superpowers, but I'm mindful that many of their friends must have died before they found the one that worked. I just often think about this specifically with alcohol, but for so many things, like even butter, I have this the hardest time of thinking is like, like, how rotten. bored were we? Like, what if I just mash this milk for an hour and a half? Let's see what happens. Oh, like, mm, creamy butter that I can spread on my toast now. Well, that's how, like, cheese, you know? Oh, we left this out. I was like, uh, put that in your mouth. I dare you. And they're like, no, that's <laughs> disgusting. Like, oh. And the guy's like, you know what? Oh, not bad. Oh, this is not bad. I could put this on this thing we invented, bread. <laughs> yeah. But can you imagine the first lactose intolerant guy just shitting himself? And they're like, I don't know about, I don't know about this cheese. And it turned out to be his intestines. Kyle Dave versus the Machine, of course, is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. I get a pretty easy job this week because I get to throw to a new sponsor called the Edmonton Public Schools Open House. So we're going to listen to a little audio clip now. Get ready to take the guesswork out of choosing a school. Go to Edmonton Public Schools Open House. Meet the staff and ask your questions to learn about their schools and programs. Explore your options and find the school that feels right. Find event dates and learn how to make the most out of your visit at openhouse.epsb.ca. Know before you go and feel confident and excited when you get there. What a great audio clip we just listened to. (laughs) It's important that the messaging is correct and not left to two idiots Mm -hmm. with a mic. Talking about um, people who can't speak the language, uh, why don't you talk to me about some French? Here's the thing. We are part of the Alberta Podcast Network and we aren't the only part of it. And this week we wanted to tell you about some of our relatives that are on this service. But I randomly selected one that is uh, a French podcast. I'm going to run with it because uh, I neither speak French nor want to look at other link. So uh, today we have something called La Place Podcast from the Société Historique Francophone de l'Alberta. I didn't even know that there were this many 
French people in Alberta, but I should have known because I live near Mission, which is the French Quarter. I could be making this up, but like, doesn't Alberta have like the second largest French contingent? Because they came here for work, obviously. Yeah, they came here for work because of the oil boom and uh, they set up shop, which is kind of neat. I don't run into them. So I'm not going to read the copy because I obviously can't speak French. So I don't even know what it's about, but go check them out. If you're French and listening to this, which is very unlikely, and you want to know something about Calgarian and Edmontonian French folks, check them out. La Place Podcast. All right, Dave, we have sat down and rewatched this movie once again, but we should probably just give a little scenario, a little plot synopsis, if you will. Let's say that- Oh, uh, that's so hard, right? Because are we going to talk about the whole MCU? <laughs> no, just this movie, just this movie. We already talked about the MCU, basically. Let us say that we have decided to take a little bit of a vacation together. So we are over in- you know, near Wakanda, a real African nation. Why don't you, yeah, why don't you pick one of the like hundred, like how many countries are actually in Africa? Like 72 or yeah, something? Yeah, we are, we are by Chad. Hmm? All right. Okay. The Ivory Coast, uh, uh, South Africa. <laughs> the most racist of all the countries. Actually, I don't know if that's functionally true. But anyway, so we're, we're over there in Africa and, you know, we're at uh, a local bazaar because we've t- taken stop in Casablanca. Yes, yes. Good, good. And uh, we went from south to north. Good. That's yeah, a lot. Like, That's a nice trip. Yeah. It's a nice trip. Someone comes running up to us with a uh, DVD copy of Black Panther mm-hmm. and asks us, like, what is this movie about? What would, uh, how would you answer that question? Barter economy is something we need to revisit, except uh, we have too much of a pl- proliferation of different types of goods and services. All right. So, this is a superhero movie of a secret society. No, that sounds like a cult. How about what? How do you describe this movie? You have to do the MCU. It's tough. What, no, what is you a standalone? Don't. It's a, okay, what's a, a standalone process? It's a guy who, after the death of his father, assumes the throne of Black Panther, says the king of Wakanda, uh-huh. and then is tried to be usurped by this intrepid man from his past. All right. Yeah, I, I'm getting too caught up in Wakanda as a nation mm-hmm. and Black Panther's role. Anyways, you failed at that. But let's yeah. say this: What was your impressionless rewatch for you? That's good. I uh, I like this movie for a few different reasons. Number one, I think that it's colorful and bright and has great pacing energy. I love the sort of mini twists. So we get everything from looking at late 80s, early 90s um, ghetto LA culture in- It's 92, I believe, is the, the time frame they're going back to. In uh, juxtaposition with the technological super advancement of Wakanda itself, we have mm-hmm. uh, this idea of, and we talked a little bit about this uh, with the If Beale Street could talk, but this idea of um, how you approach inequality, whether you are someone that, well, in this case, not peaceful diplomatic things, but whether they recede, like the king did at that time and hold on to uh, what benefits they have or like the brother they go out and they look for revolutionary processes to um, you know inflame change in the world uh, i think that's kind of a really interesting reflection of where black culture was in america yeah, at the time. I, well it's almost this like um it's a fascinating approach right because this is essentially it is talking about colonialism but also talking about colonialism through a black nation's lens which is not often 
how these stories operate. And so it's like, I think that the, the biggest conversation that's happening throughout this, this is a nation that is so technologically advanced, but hides itself because it understands that as soon as it reveals itself, it's opening itself up for attack. Because it understands what the history of the world is like. As soon as you say, here are our resources, there's going to be a ton of people that say, will we want those? We're going to push you away and we're going to take those resources from you. I think the biggest challenge for them is like, do we reveal ourselves and be true to ourselves or do we keep hiding even though we could do so much good for the world. Well, I was going to say, I think that's the crux is that they don't understand anything. They fear it. And so I right. think that this is such a great, if we want to read that way, it has a lot of insightful dialogue about the pros and cons of sharing, right? They've got this, this accidental wealth of the most powerful material in the world, and it's allowed them to grow the secret civilization. It would have been interesting if they had had one experience where maybe they had been betrayed by some initial colonial power and that's why they closed up instead of kind of like taking over Africa as a continent because they were a superpower from the beginning. Who knows? I, it's not too important, but I think the crux of uh, Killmonger versus, uh, is it? Yeah, Killmonger versus Black Panther mm -hmm. is that the the corruption of Michael B. Jordan's character from living the American Black experience makes him so violent, mm -hmm. but also cold that he has no choice but to uh, lash out. And I think that's a reflection of where we're living right now. I think this is what is so great about this movie is that it's it, there's a lot of morally gray stuff here. And I think ultimately why I find Killmonger so compelling as a character, not that I agree overall with his the uh resolution <laughs> well how he how he goes through it how right. he uh his actions i don't agree with his actions but ultimately i kind of sympathize with yeah, of his course. mentality yeah, of yeah. it he basically is like i want to come be the king of this nation so that i can be the oppressor of all these other people who have been oppressors to us like i want that retribution i want to feel that revenge and i totally understand that point of view well they also add in which i think is i mean is this the last great right i mean infinity war and endgame maybe they still have some writers left but what's great yeah, as a through line here too is that it's not personally that he's a bad guy is that his evil is actually entrenched in him by the american government so sure. when he's a disillusioned child of course we empathize with that part and they have that great scene when his uh, astral plane is not just his father but his father dying of regret not because he thinks he did the wrong thing but because he lost um, his child by the result of his actions to resort to violence and i, I think that's a fascinating thing because even when they're talking about Killmonger, it's like he's been trained to destabilize. It's not that he is evil, which we might see with Thanos, you know? So there's a lot of great cultural nuance and you can feel that in the direction, in the way things are portrayed. You know, when they go to LA in 92 or in the epilogue of this film, nobody's trying to make it colorful and pretty, right? These mm -hmm. are experiences where they come from. But we go to Wakanda and some of it's a little Star Wars-y and a little over the top. We have this like beautiful, vibrant uh, depiction. Obviously, I'm not African and I've never been to Africa and don't know the cultural differences of each different nation, although I do know that they have cultural differences. So I can't say that the amalgam of how it looks and how it's portrayed is true or not true. I have no idea. I don't know if it's true either, but it looks really cool. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I love that idea of like we're gonna show off again, I don't know the names or the tribes necessarily or the or the nations, but like the elongated necks or mm -hmm. elongated ears or the elongated lips. And it is that celebration of of African heritage. I think something that we saw 
or we talked about a little bit in Ryan Coogler's for, uh, other film, Creed, just that d- d- depiction. I think my favorite parts are like the non-superhero parts of this film, to be yeah. honest with you. It's just like them being Councils, inside this culture yeah. and them actually talking to each other and don't have to worry about like a, 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 an abundance of special effects. It's just, it's just cool to be in the production design of this world. Yeah. Even the tribal sort of challenge of the king is mm-hmm. done in such an eloquent way. I just like it when people punch each other. One of the things that happened with the, let's call you know, the now- overused term colonial lens is that uh, when white photographers, male photographers, went to these so-called exotic nations and brought back photographs, there's always uh, an inherent vocabulary and language of us better than. If we saw someone with the uh, giant plates in their ears or their lips or the elongated necks, it was always something that was exotic and strange and primitive. And here we have uh, the depiction that this is cultural and beautiful and these people are in a council and they're democratic and they're shown to be essentially better than the America that we're watching in 2018, like break down. Even so, like when they do this, what we would call a tribal challenge because a king comes in, but democratically he is allowed to be deposed though if anyone can actually uh, best him, let's say in physical combat. It's done such a respectful way. And when Killmonger comes, even that actually is done with honor. He is more violent and he has a greater need for this power than T'Challa or whatever his name is um, has. So he wins that that one fight, but it's handled so well. Like It's not about uh, depicting them as animals. They're always human beings underneath all the violence. And it's, I think, why it held such cultural power because, yeah, we're both not black Americans, but it must have been so refreshing to see a film that depicts their hopes, but doesn't pray so much on like gangster films which are so popular where it almost highlights the tragedy and the suffering of the oppressed life without a lot of messaging how you get out. And it's one of the things that I find right. with a lot of literature, particularly in philosophy, there's it's so easy to point a finger and it's really difficult to be like, well, now here's a way that we can avoid it without sounding like a fucking crackpot. So Yeah, I, I mean, I think a lot of this is tied. I'm, I'm going to circle back to this near the end of the, the episode. Um, are you familiar with Afrofuturism? Yeah, as, as a, a concept. concept. Yeah, I haven't watched any of those films though. Yeah, or read. Yeah, it's because it started in uh, in literature first. This is me just reading the definition, just so sure. people can be on the same page. Which is Afrofuturism is a cultural aesthetic philosophy of science and history that explores the intersection of the African diaspora culture with science and technology. It addresses mm-hmm. themes and concerns of the African diaspora through technoculture and speculative fiction, encompassing a range of media and artists with a shared interest in envisioning black features that stem from uh, the African experience. We're not focusing on despair and um, in terror, but it's like taking the black experience. It's like, how do we push this to the future and celebrate the blackness within this? Because if you are a science fiction fantasy fan, especially in, in the era that I grew up in, so much of that is white and a lot of it still is mostly well, white. Yeah, uh, it's, where you will see like even people pushing back like, well, how dare you have a black elf yeah, <laughs> in yeah. the new Lord of the Rings TV show or something like what that. Like uh, Star Wars thing. had one black character, right? Star Trek had what? One black character. So no, Star Trek was a little better because at least the women Kirk was sleeping with were different colors. Afrofuturism. I think that it does lean into the Afrofuturist ideal, although as some critics will point it out, which I will read again, like I said at the end, well, this is definitely this celebration of what we call it, like the African diaspora and the different cultures. What it comes at the expense of is muting the lesbian characters that are inside of this story that are supposed to be lesbians, 
that uh, are in the comic books written that way that are completely almost erased from from this movie. It, it's actually increased in the sequel, which was nice to see, but like that is very much muted in the background in this story. This is the problem with a modern criticism and how it folds in this angry idealism. I, I think that if we ca- if we can phrase these worries in a constructive way. So, for example, if we say, you know, Black Panthers, some of the warriors are meant to be in relationships with each other, but we can't show that because they're marketing to China or China, Iran or wherever, right? Yeah. That's different than saying it's a missed opportunity because you can tell the way they build it that they want to take advantage of that opportunity and their hands are tied. You know, it's it's miss directing that this is the fault of Ryan Coogler or that this is the fault even of Kevin Feige. And the fact that they even add these characters in and didn't turn them into men tells you something that there's an intent. We saw this too in 82 and 71 with all the shaded homosexual characters. You're not allowed to show it. But they're putting it in there. Yeah, the difference there is that it was the American society that you, is why you couldn't show it. This is now a little bit different in that I think you're right. I think Ryan Coogler would be totally fine or would be fine putting it in there. Kevin Feige probably does to an extent, but both of them have to be like, well, in order for this to make over a billion dollars, it needs to release in China. Or not get And if it's going to release in China, yeah. there's certain things we can't put into this film. And that kind of feels a little bit icky to me personally. Of course. But that's... You know, and I think that's where we need, if not self-restraint, at least the constructive dialogue on the realities of filmmaking, because it's not art, right? It can be yeah. artistic, but it is ultimately a commercial process. So, especially when these are two hundred and fifty million dollar movies being made, and again, these budgets to. are fucking weird. They just don't make any sense to me because it's all on a green screen, anyways. So <laughs> I just feel like <laughs> filming in Georgia. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. I think that uh, budget reporting has changed a lot. Maybe in the early 80s, because the numbers started getting too big and the actors were demanding real proper salaries and all of that's evolving. I would like, if we ever got to, again, sort of communist idealist mantra, can you imagine just making a film for the sake of making a film? I mean, we might get too many um, stalkers because you don't have to worry about how it impacts an audience. You just worry about (laughs) returns. Yeah, your artistic intent. Well, I just, this is such a weird like uh, whiplash I had this week. The other movie I watched this week is a movie called Vanya on 42nd. Um, Have you ever watched My Dinner with Andre by any chance? No, I don't think so. Made by the same director, but My Dinner with Andre is literally an hour and a half conversation with two people at a restaurant. It's all it is. They're just having a conversation at a restaurant about philosophy and all this other stuff. This movie is literally a group of actors who are rehearsing Uncle Vanya from Anton Chekhov. And so you see them arrive at the theater and then you see them fully rehearse (laughs) Uncle Vanya. So you just watch Uncle Vanya through them rehearsing it. It's so interesting. I really enjoyed the movie actually, but it's so low key. It's like, and in the back of my mind, it's like, this is perhaps the least commercial film you could have ever conceived of. And that's why it probably only cost $2 million to make. But still, like, it's like this, you're, you're expecting this to make a return of maybe five at the most in North America. Well, I would expect, I don't know, I would expect that I'd have to look at who produced it. Sony Pictures Classics is who made that movie. Oh, no, what I mean is, would there be fund and grant money where it's not meant to turn a profit? Oh, that that could be true too. Yeah, so for the, sure. We saw that with I think we see that with Canadian film. We see that a lot yeah. with these um, yeah, any art house cinema. So, somewhat, I will say, somewhat changing in Canada because sometimes there is in your grant applications like your expectation of uh, oh, of, of returns. Money. Yeah, I think they're just supposed to exist in two different spheres. Whether that's ideal or not, I mean, who knows? We could have a different conversation. But you know, Black Panther, I think, pushed as far as it could 
on a positive message of the problems and a potential, not well, a superhero solution of civil rights wrapped up in a high budget superhero film. Yeah, and be um, becoming so intellectual that it would disown an audience, right? And yeah. I think they know who their audience is at this point. You know, if you're the MCU, sure. I mean, not to be too offensive. There's certain people going to show come up, show up no matter what. Right? And it's like popcorn movies, right? So they did their best to thread as much messaging in this, but they know that they're going to upset you know half the population, anyways. I mean, yeah. well, again, I will say like there was this is very anecdotal, and of course the subject of people that are online posting about it, but there was a pretty big division between how white critics and how black critics, of course, looked at this movie, right? And it, it kind of has to be, and same with like general Marvel fans versus. Black Marvel fans had a very different impression about this movie when it came out. So, it's it's fascinating that way. Well, I, I think it, even if that might even be too much of a reduction because you're going to get, let's say, Black Marvel fans from the comic books who don't think it goes far enough are going to hate this film. Right. Yeah, yeah. And some that are going to be like, I'm glad that anything got made because there's sure. no way this character gets a movie in even 2016. Honestly. Well, we'll talk about that. There is there is rumors about this movie for decades, actually, before it actually got made. But... That's the thing. I mean, and he's not the first black superhero. Blade is. Well, <laughs> oh, well, in film, yes. But yeah. in comic books, he, oh. Black Panther actually was the first black yeah. protagonist of yeah. a comic book series. Well, I'm just saying, you know, it's like, it's just interesting. We, we were due for it, and I'm glad this movie... Yeah lived up to its expectations here here's the, the my one kind of big criticism like i can be a little nitpicky here and there with again my my returning thing of some of like this uh cgi shots don't fully work for me but overall i'm in this movie i'm so in this movie from the start i find all the actors compelling i think how they're showing it the production design the costumes it's so good and i always find the last 30 minutes such a drag mm. i really don't like the ending fight pretty much across the board. I think the stuff that's happening in the field feels too sparse. It feels like literally there's 12 people yeah. fighting in a field. So it looks like the, the background is too you big. You can only fit so many people in the studio. Uh, and then even like the Killmonger fight, it's kind of a bit too dark and shadowy. And it's, I don't know, it's not as interesting as if they were back up on the cliff sides fighting yeah. again. So it's like, uh, I just wish that this that there was more i also have a little bit of a problem of killing killmonger i wish they hadn't i wish they had this he was one of the people who got to return no, like i know it, it makes sense because he doesn't want to be in prison so it's like he would rather die than be in prison so that is actually a, truthful to his character but it's a little bummer that's like you have like the best villain and he's dead like you can't well, come getting, back to him and return yeah. back to him you've become accustomed to the tie-in for a sequel right i mean that's what mm -hmm. this whole franchise is based on you know with the end movie credits now there's two or three fucking credit scenes yeah, a joke, I know, I right? Know. I think that I always dislike it when you have CGI superhero battles that could have been made in the time of Blade. You know, they don't move mm. like human beings, so it is That's a little right. off-putting. I always come back to it. One of my favorite films of all time is The Raid. And I know that they're like, they are like masters of hand-to-hand -hand combat and choreography, but it always just bums me. I was like, couldn't we have like even a quarter of that <laughs> in some of these fight scenes? Like something that feels like a little real it's and the, then go into your CGI stuff. It's the context of it. Like Shang-Chi is famous for the bus scene. The bus scene's amazing. Yeah. You know, that's a great fight and that's choreographed by sure. proper Kung Fu choreographers, right? And even their sort of um, complex outdoor fight scenes are staged in a way that they're being chased by 10 bad guys. The issue with this and 
in Infinity War, etc., is not so much that they didn't try to put as many pieces on there as possible, but preceding movies like Lord of the Rings, you know, Peter Jackson orchestrated a full-on cavalry war using, I think it was Maya at the time, yeah, that even right. when we close up on a particular elf or somebody fighting, in the background, you have so much secondary movement. And this film, they don't do that. And I'm beginning to suspect it's Marvel as a company that can't orchestrate. So even in Infinity War, which is feels a little bit more high budget than this film, even though the budget number is probably the same. Whenever there's an individual fight, they're cutting away to a small corner, like they're mm -hmm. hiding behind one of the rhinos or they're in a ditch that formed some for some reason. Yeah. I think as well, uh, again, I don't understand these budgets. They put everybody in front of one of those light screens. Why does that cost more than actually renting out a field and hiring like 200 actors in costume in the background? I don't know. So um, I, the, I think the actual answer to your question is that they would rather pay peanuts to the special effects artists who are rendering this stuff because they are vastly underpaid from what it sounds like versus hiring someone who knows how to set up the shots properly. So it's like, we, we, we need to have this shot done in the next 30 minutes. I'm, I'm vastly changing this up, but in a day, we have to get this shot in a day when if you want to do it properly, maybe it takes two or three days to set up the shot, get the light properly so that when it goes to the, the special effects artist, they can just go and work with it. And so it's like, rush this through, give it to them. They'll just fix everything in post. And that's where you get, get these sometimes inconsistencies with like, oh, that doesn't look quite right. right. It's just yeah. everything is rushed. Everything is so rushed to the point where yeah. you're cutting corners here and there. I think as... Maybe because we watch too many films. And Helen hates watching movies with me, but to that point, you know, often the lighting's wrong. Something's awkward, mm -hmm. you know, like the light screen. It's, but I think what makes me upset is that it's, pr I'm pretty sure same technology, but you watch any Star Wars property, like the stories are shit. It is true. I don't but know why they fucking the Star Wars look so good. Yeah, like I just, I when you watch Andor uh, or uh, even Mandalorian or whatever, whether you like the shows or not, that's a personal preference thing from an aesthetic and a cinematographical view those are all in studio and they look visceral and real yeah, i think i think maybe part of that too at least the andor example is uh apparently like no one was overseeing what they were doing so i wonder if they just had the time to just do the know. way that they wanted to do is it inappropriate to say that most of those droids are sexy you you make fun of me for this but this is again one of the things that i appreciate about james cameron granted if he wants too to far. take two years to film yeah. something he will yeah, yeah. but like there's never a moment in even nowadays if i go and watch t2 that's like oh this feels off mm -hmm. or this feels false even if some of it is like not as Old good aged, quote unquote yeah. as special effects it's just like it still looks and it's it's uh, the lighting is proper the the shadows yeah. fall in the right spot like i'm not getting that kind of bounce back from from the image well it's you know we see that blade runner was like that i know harrison ford hated really scott for this <laughs> but they actually put him on the set doused in right. water there's something about practical effects that are so important but you know I would suspect if MCU got off this obsession with putting out four films to cover yes. storylines that people don't give a shit about anymore, we would see a return. Which apparently Kevin Feige is saying he's doing. I think that's why in the next couple of years you're seeing the gas, like the foot coming off the gas a little bit. Yeah. Because Kevin Feige came out and actually just said that. It's like, I think we've been prioritizing quantity over quality for the last couple of years. Yeah. I'm like, no, duh. Like, yeah. thanks, buddy. So I think you're going to see a little bit of a lessening as far as how much stuff is coming out each year for Marvel specifically. Yeah, I, I've been noticing that with the Spider-Man films. Again, whether you like them or not, 
because they were half run by Sony, they actually look mm -hmm. a lot better than the MCU yeah. films. They were on their own tight timeline to match up with MCU, but they were only producing those three films <laughs> instead of right. producing five a year, right? So, and, and you see the... The cracks in the one I like the most, actually far from are never going back, whatever the fucking multiverse one is. Yeah, yeah. But as soon as you involved MCU characters, you start seeing the seams, right? Yes. Woof. Even though, I, again, I weirdly like that movie too. It's, it's like, a great movie. <laughs> but I mean, it, I'm the Spider-Man fanboy, so it's- Stupid ending. Don't fuck with time. It, it fucks yeah. everything up. How does everybody forget who he is, but he still has an apartment, right? And he's still Spider-Man. It doesn't make any sense. Dave, it's magic. How are MJ and Ned still friends if he didn't exist? What what was the nexus point that put them together? It's magic, Dave. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's do some backstory here and then we can finish off our discussion. So this movie opened up on February 16th, 2018. So yesterday was its fifth birthday. So Ooh. happy birthday. It is rated 3.7 on Letterboxd. It has a 7.3 on IMDb and has an 88 on Metacritic. On Rotten Tomatoes... From 530 critics, it is at 96% fresh. Here's the big shocker for me this week. From 50,000 plus users, it has a 79%. So users have, like, rate it a lot lower than what uh, critics do. It is available on DVD and Blu-ray. You can rent it on iTunes and Google Play, and you can also stream it on Disney+. Plus. Its budget, purportedly, and I'm, I'm really leaving quotes yeah. around purportedly, is $200 million. It would go on to make $1.38 billion in, at the box office. It was the second highest grossing movie of the year. Its plot description from IMDb is, T'Challa, heir to the hidden but advanced kingdom of Wakanda, must step forward to lead his people into a new future and must confront a challenger from his country's past. All right, well, it's time to play everyone's favorite game, Dave. It is Guess, guess That, that, that tag. tag. This is, of course, when you go into a movie theater, you see those row of movie posters with a little description at the bottom that entices you to go and see the movie. I don't know what's coming out this week, but maybe you're like, Oh, I bet it's Ant-Man. Ant-Man's coming out this week? Quadrophonia or whatever? Yeah, so like as we're recording this, it came out yesterday. Is that like Pink Floyd? No, that is uh, The Who, isn't it? Isn't is it, it The isn't Who, the who yeah. did Quadrophonia? Mm. Actually, the weird thing is that it actually spells Ant-Man in that title. Like you can take oh. Ant and Man. Oh. Quadrophonia, whatever, whatever. Okay. Uh, someone showed it to me. I was like, oh, I guess that's cool. It's not. It's not I've cool. hated, I have not liked either of the Ant-Man films, so I doubt I'm going to like this uh, third one. I like but, them. Well, I think I just like Paul Rudd. Oh. He's just I so just horny for Paul Rudd yeah, over here. It's just fun. They don't make any sense, but they're fun. Here are your options, Dave. One of these is the real tagline that was on the poster for Black Panther, and two of these are completely made up by me. So, is it the king has returned? Is it long live the king? Or is it all hail? That sounds like a slogan for Calgary. <laughs> <laughs> I think I feel like the first one's Lion King. I don't know why. So I'm gonna go with uh, two. You are correct. Uh -huh. And actually, you are also doubly correct because The King Has Returned is the live actual Lion King <laughs> is where that tagline comes from. <laughs> so this stars Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa slash Black Panther, Michael B. Jordan as Killmonger, Letitia Wright as Cherie, Lupita Nyong'o as Naka, no, sorry, Nakia, uh, Martin Freeman, probably the best character, plays Everett Ross. I just like Daniel him too. Kalua, Daniel Kalua as Wakabi, Daniel Guria as Okoya, and Angela Bassett as Queen Ramona. I love Angela Bassett. She is great. Uh, anything we want to say, though, about any of those um, actors before moving on? Nothing trivia. I didn't look at any of the trivia. I just like all of them. I think the cast is so good. We talked about Forrest Whitaker and uh, mm, Ghost Dog, right. Angela Bassett. She's just like Michelle Pfeiffer. 
they just, just walk in and like take over a scene and just and be like, like the most phenomenal. graceful aging and regalness mm-hmm. like there's just something powerful about her i love her the only thing i will say about uh lupita nyong'o which i find so fascinating is that uh and there's actually been articles i write about this too it's hard for her to find roles like yeah. she's been in She's been a voice in that Lion King movie. She's been in the Black Panther movies. She got her Oscar for 12 Years a Slave and was in one other movie. Yeah. Well, us and one other movie. She's being very particular about what role she wants to take, yeah. but there just isn't a lot being offered to her, which is really weird. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how we would gauge what's been offered to her or not. Right. But I will say very dark-skinned actors in America will have trouble because we're still with casting directors and projects that are trying to appeal to a general public. I also found like with Wakanda Forever, I worry that she might be one of those actresses that had her peak already because she's not that great in Wakanda Forever. And I find mm. that... Um, I'd like to hear other stuff though. I think she's that's great. That's the thing. Like I, I want to believe that it's just a casting thing, but we'll see. Uh, it's hard for us. We've seen this in the last three years. Why do some people make it and other people don't? It's not for a lack of talent or beauty. There's other factors. You know, personality, we don't know much. We'll see in hindsight. Like Daniel Kalua had a big thing but every time i look at him he looks like such an angry asshole is he gonna get a role where he's having fun i I, don't know i will go to bat for nope i think nope is actually really great Uh so but that's just isn't the same character although that's a very divisive film so some people bounced off of that too michael b jordan too he needs to do like a fucking lighthearted comedy or something just to change the tone he did i was actually looking this up this week and apparently he was in this comedy and no one saw it so that's part of the issue yeah i like all these guys it's just uh Mm -hmm. we need some tone break but the genres aren't ready for that, are they? Right? Maybe that's the problem. They're not going to produce a rom-com. Well, the, the unfortunate part about it, I think it still is like if you have two black leads in a romantic comedy and it's like, well, that's for black people. Yeah. I'm not going to be served in this, which is just a weird idea where well, if it's two white people, then it's for everyone. If it's for two, if it's two black people, then it's only for black people. But well, it's, it's, the Asian thing comes into there too. Yeah. Was a lot of people thought Crazy Rich Asians was only for Asian people to go Turning red it. with people saying right. that nobody can identify with this character, even though it's just a girl turning to a panda. I think it's hilarious. Right. Uh, Shang-Chi was the same thing. Yeah, it made a lot of money because of China, but people were like, why are we watching a bunch of Asian people fighting each other? So I think there's something to that inherent. Right. It's not racism anymore, xenophobia or lack of cultural connect. I think it's I think it's just um, weird biases that we haven't confronted yet at this point. I don't think it's outwardly like, I will not watch a movie with these people in it. It's just like, there's this weirdly inherent bias where like, this isn't for me because I've always been told this wasn't for me. I have that. I don't like watching movies about small towns. I know. And weird. some of them are good. But uh, you know what it is? It's a lack name of two, Dave. Small towns. <laughs> I don't know. You'll name them. Though something will come up. My bias is that I don't like any movie that has people in it. The uh, cinematography for this movie is by a pretty important figure. It is Rachel Morrison. Her top four on IMDb are this movie, Fruitvale Station from 2013, Dope from 2015, and Mudbound from 2017. Dope's a great all movie. All phenomenal looking movies. Yeah. Rachel Morrison has the distinction of being the first female ever nominated for a Best Cinematography Award. Nice. She is also the the first female to win the Best Cinematography Award for Mudbound the year before this. She was also nominated for this movie for Best Cinematography and, in my opinion, should have won, but did not. Who won? (laughs) I can't remember. I'll have to look up the other movies. We'll find out. I'm sure you got it somewhere. I'm pretty sure it's probably Roma. I'm going to guess it's probably what Best Cinematography. That makes sense. Which is good, too. It's a good movie. But this also brought up my my thing 
I then double check this unless I'm missing something. Brian Coogler has only ever worked with female DPs and I don't know anything about the man really, but it really feels like he is pushing behind the scenes to include people that aren't normally there, whether it's women, people of color. He really fills his behind the camera departments with people who aren't getting those opportunities otherwise. If I've noticed anything you know, looking uh, like our history and then looking at interviews, it's actually still a pretty tight knit community underneath. And so if you're, yeah. let's say a person of uh, minority status in any sphere, you're going to end up uh, amongst a community of people of that same status problem. So it's not just representation for representation's sake. These women are fucking good at their jobs. Yes. <laughs> right. Phenomenal. And they're kind of being passed over. So. I am looking forward to it because Rachel Morrison is directing her first movie this year. Interesting. And it's starring someone we've talked about. I can't remember. It's someone from this movie or the or last mm. week's movie. But anyways, uh, I'm looking forward to that because I'm sure it's going to look great. And I'm interested to see what she's like as a director. No. So this is written by Ryan Coogler and Joe Robert Cole based on characters created by Stanley and Jack Kirby and directed by Ryan Coogler. So Dave, there's this long history of Black Panther's journey to becoming a film. So to just briefly, briefly touch on the comics, Black Panther's first appearance was in a Fantastic Four issue all the way back in 1966. He would go on to headline his own comic and was the first black comic book protagonist ever. He's credited as being created by Stanley and Jack Kirby, although there is some dispute on that if you know the history of Stanley and Jack Kirby, because uh, they didn't really get along at the end of their careers. So each kind of claims ownership of different things. If I believed without any proof of who's more woke, it would be Stanley. <laughs> Okay. Interestingly, I, 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 I never really knew this, so I did some research on this. So interestingly, the name Black Panther predates, but by only a few months, the Black Panther Party. And what seems to be just a weird coincidence. So Black Panther had been used by a group that would then become known as the Black Panthers, but that had not become mainstream yet. So the idea of Stanley hearing that is pretty I don't, out there. Maybe, but probably not. I feel like maybe I'm mixing up with somebody else, but I feel like Stanley's a pretty active, like he's not just sitting in a room drawing no, pictures. No, but what I mean is like that term Black Panther is, it's, it, it, I don't think it would be, have been said out loud anywhere, but maybe, maybe, I guess, yeah, I don't know. Interesting. The Black Panther Party also insists they did not take the name from the comic book. So yeah. it was this, Attention. two things happening at the same time called the same thing. There is a really whining history of like solo comic book series, team-ups, character lore that I'm not going to get into. But just know that these two Jewish men create this character and write it for a few years before handing it off to other creators, which nowadays and for quite a while has been basically black writers and artists having uh, had the opportunity to expand the Black Panther story and really hit into some modern topics. But we get into the early 90s. Wesley Snipes, Blade himself makes this grand pronouncement that he is going to make a Black Panther movie. It's going to be his next project. Mm -hmm. he's, and then he goes to jail. Well, he's fresh off Demolition Man, so that he's powered at his highest. Stanley comes aboard as a producer, but isn't happy with the scripts that are coming in. They go through multiple writers and directors, most of them because they were being hired on thinking that they were going to write a movie about the Black Panther Party and not the superhero mm -hmm. Black Panther. That's funny. Then Marvel almost goes bankrupt. Sells the rights to its characters to a bunch of different companies. Sony. We get all those bad movies, but the Sam Raimi movies, the X-Men movies, the Punisher Fox. movies, they all come yeah. out. Then we have the creation of the new Marvel Studios uh, in the early 2000s. And they enter into partnerships with Paramount Pictures 
to distribute 10 films. So those are what the first 10 films are basically from Iron Man up until, gosh, I don't even remember what the, it would have been like around um, Thor 2 or something like that would have been like the 10 films that they were into. Uh, so this is just after that, uh, but they're still committed to making this Black Panther movie. Like they actually announced the Black Panther movie years before it actually became to fruition. Kevin Feige said they were still working on it. Kevin Feige, like we said, is the executive producer of Marvel Studios. States that they are definitely working on this movie and they started off in 2008 with Iron Man. It should be noted that Wesley Snipes is actually still involved at this point. <laughs> he is still kind of on there as being part of it. But then two things happen. One, because he's been in Blade, Kevin Feige is kind of like, well, I don't know if I want you to be Blade and be Black Panther at the same time. But the bigger thing happens when he gets into a little bit of trouble with a little bit of tax fraud. <laughs> he goes off to jail, and so he's out of this completely. Marvel innovates this whole, whole idea about the shared universe through multiple films. Oh, oh, I did write this down. This would be the 18th Marvel film that was part of this larger story that they had been building out. Uh, it sits in the middle of what was referred to as Phase 3. Before this movie, there had already been explanations of where Wakanda was, what Vibranium does, and even the Black Panther character, which had been a huge part of Captain America Winter Soldier. The movie kept getting pushed back, originally wanting it to be a couple of years earlier, but scripts kept getting, getting rewritten, directors kept leaving the project. The three most prominent people, though, that they approached first was Ava DuVernay. Have you seen Selma? No. Actually, I didn't oh. get to watch it. Yeah. Great, great movie. She's yeah, the director yeah. of that movie. Uh, she does actually work on the movie for quite a bit before leaving because she disagreed with the plot changes Marvel wanted to put into it. So then they go to F. Gary Gray, who works on it for a bit, but he leaves the project to go and direct uh, The Fate of the Furious instead. Oh, like uh, Vin Diesel? Yep. Oh, so the eighth movie. The eighth movie is the one he directs. I started to check out of my film franchise yeah. there. Finally, they go to Ryan Coogler, who they had approached before, but then like talks to cool down. But uh, something had happened in the meantime, in that he directed a little movie called Creed, which they like, oh, we really like this movie. I think he would be a good fit for the story that we want to tell. And so they enter into talks with him again, and then he ultimately signs on to be the writer and director of this movie. Ultimately, the script is written by both him and Joe Robert Cole, who is a member of the Marvel Writers Program. This does push back the filming of Creed 2, as we kind of mentioned last week. But, uh, you know, production goes through, gets released, as we said, becomes a huge hit. The biggest thing is that this would be nominated for seven academy awards and is the first and as of this recording only movie superhero movie nominated for best picture uh it holds that distinction here for us mm -hmm. it would win three of those awards which would be best production design uh best costumes and would win for best uh, score unfortunately kendrick lamar does not win for best song what are, your, what are your thoughts on kendrick lamar there's this great intellectual pushback from shit rap in the mid to 2000s to mid 2010s but the thing about Kendrick Lamar and uh, some of these guys I love some of their production and their messaging I can't put it on repeat because it's so unhappy oh. <laughs> so I know a lot of guys that are like you know they worship at this altar but I, I just can't uh, his videos are fucking legit cinematography you know they're like mm. short film masterpieces I, I respect him as a creative talent but he is an embodiment of growing up in the system and uh, mm -hmm. getting to push back. But we talked as well about anthems. And I, we we need a refresh somehow of getting like a proper I anthem totally out there. agree. I it don't is know how you do that. wild to me that I can go and watch kind of a random movie from like the 80s or 90s. 
like just even a comedy film is like this score is pretty banging like i yeah. like this they have like the light motifs are going through go and watch home alone and it's john williams i know but like there's a theme to that movie it like hits you in the feels at the very end because it comes back around it's like oh my gosh like this is for a stupid home alone movie why is the score so good for this yeah and like for these big movies, the one big miss that Marvel always had for me is that there was no recognizable themes for the for the for the Other characters. Their, uh, their like the Avengers theme yeah, yeah. that does play that people I think understand, but like for me, it, there should have been a recognizable Iron Man theme, Thor theme, Captain America theme to all kind of come together it, in the it's Avengers. It's probably just too much, right? I yeah. think it would require such a careful hand for something like a project like this, but yeah, it's just too bad. Or at least freshing it up. But I think you get mm. into also this problem of yeah music dialogue right mm -hmm. like you watch these songwriting competitions like the voice or america's got talent and you realize that the viewing demographic likes shit music i just said <laughs> that out loud and it's not a reflection of for example target audience so at least black panther brought hip-hop artists r&b yeah. artists and black artists into the project and didn't just presume that it should have a country twang to it but that can't trans transfer to a captain america film or to uh, a movie that's um, trying to get a different demographic right so it gets a little tricky now dave what any last thoughts on this movie did we miss anything i mean, we spent too much time talking around it i think the black panther character is interesting killmonger yeah. is great this oh. looks phenomenal i'm probably going to raise my score slightly based on our talk some of the research and like uh conversation we've had here today because yeah. i think i'm being a little bit too negative in what my star rating was but i should you know what i i think we just quickly mentioned because we probably won't get to talk about this movie if you compare this to wakanda forever you can see how much optimism is built into this film and then with wakanda forever you see what happens when too many both traumatic but also scheduling problems and a loss of creative direction because it's still Ryan Coogler and there are still moments where it's pretty and some of the dramatic beats, the story's all over the fucking place and oh my God, stop This person, have have, this yeah. person that's going to have a, their own Disney Plus series so they have to be introduced and this thing has to be and here. And all the side characters are poorly developed. The costumes yeah. are shit. Like everything's rushed. I noticed there was another, I think it was a Chinese movie. Everybody's doing the fucking Iron Man uh, mm. HUD shots. Like it's going to be so pat. I was supremely disappointed with that film because... Uh, it's missing something that this film has. I don't know if it's the optimism or like the uh, construction, which sucks. It's a, a sequel problem. And uh, I think this movie yeah. comparatively really, really set the tone for what a, a superhero movie could be. Not just a black sure. superhero, but it's a good superhero movie. We'll see as we continue on here. This is the first of three MCU movies that come out in the year 2018. So there's another Marvel film that's not part of the MCU that comes out this year as well. So there's... We'll have a good chance of talking about this going forward. We may also see a DC film and talk about how fucking stupid the DC universe is. Yeah. Hey, he's got an octopus, Dave. An octopus. I have to be careful what I say. Helen's like uh, obsessed with Jason Momoa. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, good for her. We're done here. The machine has said that we do have to wrap things up here. So let's get into our section called Critics' Choice. This is the part of the show where we discover what the critics thought at the time this film was released. The first person I've picked is Robert Daniels over at 812 Film Review. Um, he gave this a perfect score, so four out of four, and he writes, 
Film Twitter will most likely nitpick it. People will dissect it. Most won't completely understand it, but Black Panther was a moment, not just for Marvel fans and Disney stands, but it was the rare instance of a film purporting itself to be a cultural movement and succeeding. For me, it not only demonstrated a willingness by Disney and Marvel to let a black director helm an almost entirely black cast in a major tentpole, but also allow him to tell his own story. They let him be brutal, they let him be historical, they let him be divisive, they trusted him to make a funny, action-packed, musically current, and politically charged film, and they gave him a big budget to do it with. In short, they let him be revolutionary. Um, which I mostly agree with. I actually don't disagree with that, with how he phrases that. So the other one, which is also very positive, but offers this kind of brief criticism, uh, this is a very long essay, by the way, that I actually encourage people to go and read because it is goes far, far into it. Carmen Phillips over at Ardo Straddle, she writes, Using fantasy to imagine new solutions of black survival and social order is key to Afrofuturism, a word often associated with Black Panther. There's a danger of thinking Afrofuturism simply means black people in a sci-fi. To be truly considered Afrofuturist, a film or text must marry blackness and mysticism or technology within a social justice context. This tradition is part of what makes Black Panther stand out from its peers. It's designed by its very nature to dig deeper than shiny spaceships and electronic communicators and looking for answers of black liberation. Afrofuturism is often closely tied with black feminist art and queer black feminist art in particular, ranging from the literature of Octavia Butler to the music of Janelle Monet. Maybe you already see the bridge I'm about to take here. I bring up Afrofuturism's queer feminist ties because as much as I love Black Panther, and my goodness, I really love this movie, I cannot in good faith write a glowing review and just ignore the deliberate queer erasure of their production. I want us to love on Black Panther bravely and openly, but we cannot forget Get the asterisks. We cannot forget that a significant achievement for black representation once again came on the back of forced black queer silence. It's not the first time, and unfortunately, it won't be the last. We can embrace and celebrate Black Panther without losing track of that fact. You know, when you said uh, Afrofuturism, I love Erica Badu. Is one of her albums called Afrofuturism? It might be. Oh, you mean Janelle Monet? No, uh, Erica oh, Badu. Oh, Erica Badu. Yeah. I don't know. I have to remember. I remember getting. I love her. She's well, crazy. I, I only. I. This is a weird side tangent. I watched the Grammys one year, like when I was a teenager, and saw Erica Badu oh, perform and like fell in love with her. Yeah. And I was like, I love this. So whatever her, that album was, like I listened to that a lot. Um, and I am like so in love with Janelle Monae. Yeah. I know that there's. I don't know. She gets weird for some people, but for me, I'm like all about no, it. She's amazing, and I. I'm not sure. I mean, she's getting roles now, but maybe she's too crazy. I want to get dirty with her computer, Dave. Does this hold up and is it still culturally relevant? Uh, it, yeah, I think yes, yes. I think, I it think definitely, it's a yes and yes. Yeah, it definitely holds up. looks great and moves very well, particularly against other Marvel films. And culturally, it'll always have its huge impact, not to be sullied. I, I read some of the Wakanda Forever reviews and I feel like people are afraid to criticize it. A, because mm. Chadwick Boseman died so tragically, and B, because it might sully the reputation of Black Panther. And I think that it's They're a dangerous thing, but this movie well, that's the thing. Like, is I mean, great. This is say my thing. I was not a big fan of Wakanda Forever. I actually quite disliked it for most of it. Although, at the same time, I really liked that uh, first little bit of them commemorating Chadwick Boseman. I yeah. thought that was very effective. It's just that they had to cram 18 other different things I don't care about into yeah. this narrative to try and get it out on time. So yeah, it just felt like a not a movie at the end of it. It was just like, this is a bunch of things. They're all like that now. Yeah, all the Marvel films are like that now and TV shows. And I think that's 
that's a problem. But uh, this one stands out because it did mm -hmm. its best to avoid it, even though it necessitated some cross-referencing. But we don't see Iron Man show up in a Captain America movie with three other characters for each, so like in Civil War, and they still call mm -hmm. it a not Avengers movie. It's a fucking joke, right? right. So like every movie became an Avengers movie yeah, after a while. So, yeah. so that's good. I uh, I like this movie a lot. All right, Dave, we do need to rate this film. But before we do, that is what Dave and I thought. What do you think? You can send any feedback to Kyle and Dave vs the machine at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle KDVSTM. We also release videos on our YouTube channel. And if you want to see the entire list of films that we've watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our Letterboxd page. That's letterboxd.com slash KDVSTM. And if you want to support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast and not usher in the next apocalypse, you can go to our Patreon page. There is a link in the show notes of this episode. You can support for as low as a dollar per month and something that you can do for absolutely free is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts. So getting to the rating of this movie, Dave, out of five, what are you going to give Black Panther? Yeah, it's a tough one. So I think the minimum score is a four. I'm just trying to think, am I going to go up to a four and a half? Then there's so many little nitpicks to it. I can't give it a five. I just, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure. I think I'm going to go with a four. I'm going to go with a four because I have some Marvel fatigue. They didn't cast a current speaking woman. And like mm -hmm. you brought up, there's some tone things towards the end that kind of snap you out of the film. Like the final fight gets a little awkward, yeah. but I want to give it more just because I think everybody's good in it. So I am also giving this a four, giving that a little bump up to it. I was actually going to initially do my, uh, the favorite thing and give it a 3.5, oh, but I wow. thought it was too low. I think it's good. I think it's better than that. That is going to average to a four and that is going to slot right into our third place. So it's going to be right underneath the favorite and right above Creed 2. Again, we've only talked about four movies so far this year, so it's a pretty small list currently. Oh, Venom and Aquaman are coming, so. <laughs> and those, of course, are going to be the top of the list. So we all know this. Well, talking about that, let's find out what we are watching next week. I'm just going to push this button. Oh, Dave, we get to do a Spike Lee joint nice. next week. Black Klansman. We're going to talk about Black Klansman. Haven't seen it. And oh, uh, I'm so it's upset because it was sat on Netflix on my for list years. for three years. <laughs> and the one time you want to go and watch it, it's off. Damn it. I really need to just find a little corner in my condo where I can sit on my phone for two and a half hours. We'll get into it more next week, but like how much of Spike Lee's filmography have you watched? I don't know, actually. You know, the when uh, was it Do the Right Thing was on Criterion, I started thinking that I haven't watched a lot of his actual movies except for... Mm. He did the Clive Owen heist movie. Inside Man, yeah. Yeah, which is good. And then he did something more recent that I saw, but his like classic archival stuff, I don't think I've watched any of them. I haven't watched all I did. I might try and watch one or two this week just to have a... I only watched Do the Right Thing for the first time last month, yeah. which feels so embarrassing to admit out loud, but uh, loved it. It was great. Criterion's got the one after that. Anyways, it's all in there right now, so mm -hmm. I should take a poke at it, but we'll see. So... uh do you think you're getting any new visions or anything like that? This is a new uh, plot wrinkle that's happening here on our mm, show. A wrinkle in time. Where should we go with this, Kyle? I I don't know what my what my vision is telling me. Maybe my vision is showing me a vision of vision. Oh, Paul Bettany himself. I like Paul Bettany a lot. <laughs> I really <laughs> you do. You would. <laughs> I just like it when people punch each other.